Father, thank you for uh, the abundance of grace that you give and how your word shows us your holiness and that you do have a great, magnificent plan uh, if we would simply trust you in it. So help us, Father, to uh, embrace the truth so that it changes us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 4 of Deuteronomy is where we are at. It's a long chapter, 49 verses. And when you get to chapter 4, verse 40, is when we are ending what is called the historical prologue. Just a real quick recap. Moses has got the children of Israel, the second generation, ready to cross over the Jordan River into the Promised Land and take control of it. God has blessed them immensely uh, in going before them as a warrior that has conquered these pagan nations who had actually come in and, and had taken property away from people that God had given it to. And, and having brought them to Haram, which is a uh, utter destruction, a complete annihilation of these people, physically speaking, Israel now moves in and possesses 140 miles worth of geography, of which they have two and a half tribes uh, settle. What Moses is doing in this time is he is getting everybody's mindset on the same page by referring them back to what God did in the past. Uh, I have a Bible on my desk. Uh, it's black and covered with duct tape. It's about this thick. It started out this thick. It's about this thick now. Uh, but I've got it all covered in duct tape and everything. And if you open it up to the front cover, one of the best things I ever did, and I haven't done it with this one yet because it would be a little heavy to carry around, So I took one of those small notepads and I put some of that poster sticky tape on the back and I stuck it into the front cover of my Bible. And I just wrote some things that I've seen God do in my life so that when times get hard or when my thinking gets messed up about him, I can refer back and look at the dates where God had answered prayer or a prayer request that I made and a prayer request when it was answered. Having personal reflections like that is an exceedingly biblical thing to do. Why? Because that's exactly what Moses is doing here. He wants to show God's prior faithfulness so that thinking is straightened out when you're getting ready to cross into a place that is littered with a pagan people who deserve judgment and destruction. And so your mind has to be set right in order to move in that direction. So any questions about that before we start chapter 4, verse 1? Is that why we gave you the homework? Yes. Anybody do the homework? Excellent. Whoa. Okay, I didn't see it last week. Let's talk about it. Genesis 15, 16, right? I will lead you back into the land, he tells Abraham. But the time that he'll do it is when the iniquity of the Amorites is full. He says the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. What are some things we learned? Who wants to go first? Raise your hand. What are some things we'll learn? Jerry. Okay. God is long, just so everybody heard, God is long suffering when it comes to giving people the chance to repent. He said this to Abraham. We're now dealing with Moses. So think about that time period. Yes. Yes. They were exceedingly evil. 
Yes. Yeah, in fact, at the preaching of Jonah, Nineveh repented. And notice it was led by the leadership calling on the people to repent. The king, it got a hold of the king's heart. The king told everybody else, I think even their cows had sackcloth and ashes on. That's how much it was. Uh, but in doing that, God spared them, and they lasted for another 100 years until they fell back into this paganism that they were involved in, and then that's when God wiped them out. And I think that was around the time of Nahum. I can't remember exactly in the top of my head. Yes, it's one of the minor prophets that deals with that situation 100 years after Jonah. So, very good. What else did we learn? Is, it, is that what you got out of it? Okay. Is God not long-suffering with us? Yeah. Is God not long-suffering with the person that you think ought to get theirs? You know, it just goes to show he's exceedingly more gracious than we are, which is, which is nice. It's a good model. Laverne. Yes. Take no pleasure. Yes. Also, two, twice in Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel 18, 23, and 32. Uh, I do not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. Would you not turn to me so that you may live? God is actually begging Israel, don't make me destroy you. He will because he's going to stay firm in his justice. He doesn't want to because he's looking for people to, to come to their senses and repent in light of truth. So, good one. What else? Who else, who else did some research that wants to share? What's that? Say it one more time. The measure of sin fills up at different speeds for different people. See, that, that's, that's very relevant because the question that probably comes to our minds is, well, how's America doing before God? Right? And then everybody, oh, yeah. What did you have? Um, I was reading a writing study. Okay. Yes. And yes. And at the verse 24, it talks about how they had defiled themselves mm -hmm. and they also defiled the land. They defiled the land. God cares about real estate. He really does. She brought up a real good point, and we're going we're gonna to really pull all of this back when we get into the next portion when Moses starts unpacking the law for them to show them what it all is. The law is some serious stuff. If for no other reason, and Leviticus 18 is something that you need to read because it's all about what Israel should not do because the pagan nations were participating in those very things. It's very interesting. And we're talking, we, we, we think it's bad now. It's always been bad. It's just more publicized now. So let's say it that way. But, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a very stark reminder, and we're going to see a, a glimpse of that today. So any other thoughts on that, on that passage for the homework? Okay, next week I will have a little sheet if you need something to fill up and write down notes. But let's start chapter 4, verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes, not the statues, praise the Lord, uh, the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to what? Pay very close attention to that. Jerry, yours says follow. Okay, perform is the idea there. Notice, it's not just what you know. 
That's the amazing thing about God. God wants a response. And a mental affirmation of his truth is the very minimum that he wants. You see what I'm saying? The maximum is he wants a change in perspective, direction, decision, relationship. That's what he's looking for. So notice, these statutes and judgments that have been made, we're putting before you today. Why is that? He's teaching you to perform so that, remember, anytime in the NASB you see the word so that, you can write next to that reason or think to yourself, he's going to give me the reason what's going on. So that you may live and go in and take possession, inheritance, of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Now, remember, Moses is coming out of the last example he gives them is his own personal failure in striking the rock the second time instead of speaking to the rock as he was commanded. Even Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. The last person of the first generation to die before the children can cross over is Moses. He's the last person. That's important. So he is speaking from a very real recognition of this conquest and this inheritance that God has in store is, is so much more incredible than what I could have ever painted you a picture of. There's not enough words to describe the abundance we're getting ready to step into. And now that I'm seeing it, I realize just how heinous my sin was before God and not following exactly what he said. Because I messed up in that way, and because I will not participate in this inheritance that you are seeing, I'm here letting you know firsthand, pay attention to everything that God says. Do exactly as he tells you. Everybody with me? Now that, that, that overall arching lesson, we're not Israel, but that overall uh, lesson is true today. Pay, pay attention to exactly what God tells you. We don't get messed up until we neglect what he says. So verse 2, you shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And this is where we left off last time. Can anybody think of an example that you see today of adding or subtracting from God's word? Okay. Now we got to be careful. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so if we're going to beat the body, we better have a good reason. Okay, so one of the greatest corruptions that we see is adding to salvation. Now, understand, I'm just picking on you a little bit, okay? That, that's not just mainstream churches. That's, that's tiny country churches. That's legalistic churches, yeah. And every once in a while, we'll find ourselves flirting with the mousetrap too because we expect better of people. Why can't this person just get their stuff together? I mean, we have all kinds of legalistic expectations we want to put on the grace of God as to why he should not accept such and such. We do that all the time. And if we don't watch our mouths, we're not thinking clearly about it, we're not letting the Spirit lead us in ministry, we will, we will slap some requirements upon people quickly. Peter fell into it. Of all people, Peter. Peter should know better. Peter just preached a sermon a few years before and saw 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. I only wish that would happen for me. You know? <laughs> And yet, what's he doing? Oh, here comes James's people. Put that pork away. You know, I mean, 
He's like, while they were gone, he was doing this, you know. But when they started coming, he's like, oh, I never had, never saw no barbecue, never had no barbecue, never smelled no barbecue. Why do you smell like barbecue? That's not me. That's not me. You know? So, yeah. I mean, we're guilty of that. What's that? <laughs> it's me adding to scripture, right? But you got the, you got the illustration, though, didn't you? You won't easily forget it. I ate at Dickie's yesterday in Madison. That is God's will for my life. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's the... No, it's not. No. It is in this odd... This is totally off the subject of it. It's in this building where the backside is for rent and the front side's totally full. The problem is the front side empties into a new car lot. It's the worst location ever. Dickie's Barbecue. It's on, a, is it 135? Where you would, where you, you could get off there, the highway, you would, you would go under the overpass to go to Sun Prairie. Instead, you go this way, like you're going to the mall and all that. It's right there on the left. It is right next to Texas Roadhouse. It is fantastic. Oh my goodness. My heart sang glory. It was so good. It was so good. I told, I told my wife, this is God's will for my life right now. I'm perfectly squaring God's will. So what are some other examples that we see people have added to or, or taken away from God's word? They have grits? I don't know. I didn't eat them. I had, I had potato casserole and baked beans. Yeah, baked beans were good. Uh, barbecue sauce was great. And free ice cream. Free. Go up and serve yourself. <laughs> It was awesome. I loved it. It was so good. Anyway, I was not gluttonous though. I was I was good. So traditions, tradition. Yeah, we've never done that before. I'll tell you this. That's one of the beautiful things about planting a church from scratch. You never hear that. We've we've never done it this way before. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know that's what's great. Yeah, yeah, that's what's great is you, how do you have that? But in the same respect, you do have, because you don't have that previous experience of how to handle ministry situations and people getting involved, you suffer from that. So I've been through that, yeah. So that's, that's an example. Sometimes tradition can take uh, a place where that word is law kind of thing and sometimes keep us from obeying the truth. What else we think? That problem right there, a failure to hold fast to the inerrancy of the Bible underlies all other problems we deal with. If you start with the basic foundational premise, God's word is true, and you let everything that you do flow out of that, you are less likely to go wrong in your understanding of Scripture and how you operate. But by and large, a ton of the, of the Bible colleges and seminaries today have abandoned that. Dallas has abandoned that. Dallas Theological Seminary. They abandoned it, uh, I think, in the 90s. Uh, they, of course, you, you talk to them, they'll, they'll say they haven't, but they have. Denver Seminary was, was a very right-on place. They've abandoned it. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. Why do I think that is? Um, well, I think Satan's gotten his mitts in there somewhere. Uh, I think that people got too intellectual for God. Think we got too smart for him? Well, that's what it says, but that's not what it means. That's where it starts. Well, surely God's word can't mean that. 
You know, we, we start getting into buffet Christianity. We want all the, the banana pudding and the ribs that we can get on our plate, but when it comes to the Brussels sprouts and radishes and stuff like that, well, I don't really know that God did that, you know? So, what's that? That's where it flows out of. That's the whole reason why I'm doing this hermeneutics class in the fall. It is hermeneutics springs from a foundation of the inerrancy of God's word, and it's the interpretation where everybody wants to start to sway. And when you dig it back, you find out, well, what it is is they really don't believe what God said is true. And because they can't reconcile it, we got to come up with some sort of formula or system or understanding or read what smart guy said in the 1800s, and that's going to be our answer. It's not our answer. So. Yeah, don't get so religious that you miss Christ. That's an excellent, that's an excellent uh uh, thing she said pastor steve said that i actually have some of pastor steve's sermon notes in my pocket not that i used them today um from uh august 20th of 2000 uh, tom gave it to me and i was looking through there and he and he said you know this says exactly right here loving people to life in christ it's pretty interesting and i read through it and i was like whoa that's cool so we're in alignment that's that's nice i feel in good company so good so those are some examples notice the 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 prohibition here why is that if you get just a little bit off and you continue in that little bit off. A little bit off becomes a long ways off. It does. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and here's one thing that's interesting to think about. Um, gosh, this is going to be weird. Don't don't think I'm weird for saying this. Okay. <laughs> Too late. Think for a moment when you think about, did the Holy Spirit write all of the Word of God? Absolutely. Inspired people to write it. We get all that. Yes. Think about the parts in real time at that moment that God shared with people to write down. Ten Commandments, right? Probably the first place, first thing we really see where God has them. He's communicating verbally and audibly from Mount Sinai for all the people to hear. And if you remember that situation in Exodus 20 after he's done, they say, don't ever let God speak to us again. We're afraid if he ever speaks to us again, we'll die. You ever been scared that somebody would open their mouth and say something to you and that your life would be gone at that moment? I mean, that's, that's the way they responded to that moment. Well, God spoke that forward. When we talk about the book of Revelation, what is Revelation? It's something that the Father gave to the Son. The Son communicates it through an angel. The angel, the messenger, communicates it to John. So it's something that's coming directly down the pipe in that way. Do you see what I mean by that? Now, did he inspire 1 Peter, 2 Peter, James, Hebrews? Yes. All that stuff, exactly, yes. But when you talk about a, a direct kind of here, write this down now. Sometimes he'll say to the prophets, write this, that kind of thing. We are dealing with a more direct, it seems like, where the father's involved of at that moment dictate it down. Well, that's exactly what the law is. The law is, write this down. Tell this to the people. Expound upon this. And it's a right then and there type of thing that God is doing. Does that make sense? All of it's inspired, absolutely. And all of it's equally inspired. But we see the elements and how it's inspired to where one person sits down to write years after the fact. These are actually in moment, real time, write this down type of stuff. So when we deal with the law and you think about when did God say, don't add or take away from scripture? It's when real time stuff was going on. 
It's in Deuteronomy when he's giving real-time instruction through Moses for this. It's in Revelation when he gave something to Jesus in order to share with the messenger, in order to share with John to unfold that for everybody so that you don't mess it up. And why, and why not add mess it up? See, this is why I'm leery of whenever we get into it. Oh, those scorpions with this tail and all that. Those are really helicopters. That, that's crazy. We're getting into some stuff that we have no way of knowing. And sometimes when you look at Revelation, there's some things you can figure out just from the Old Testament. There's some things you need to look at and say, this is what it says, and I don't know. That's okay. That's fine. Better to say you don't know than be decisively wrong. So I think that's important. So yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, can't manipulate it. And remember, in this relationship they have, the king and the lesser kings, the greater king is the one who dictates the terms of the relationship. The lesser kings, the vassals, they're the ones who agree to it and come into relationship for protection and provision. That's what the great king provides. Verse 3, your eyes have seen. Now this is important that you mark this. In fact, I'm upset with myself that I didn't mark this. Your eyes have seen. You have a first-hand witness account. It's one thing for somebody to tell you something. It is another thing for you to see it for yourself and you communicate it to other people. You've seen this with your own eyes, right? We kind of get that with people, right? Until I see it, I won't believe it kind of thing. That's exactly how Thomas was. We get all down on Thomas, uh, call him Doubting Thomas for that reason. He wasn't doing anything but acting like we would in that situation, you know, until I see it with my own eyes. And then when he saw it, there was no doubt anymore. Notice, you've seen this. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For, here's an explanation, all the men who followed Baal, or Baal, however you say his name, Baal, sometimes we say that, Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. Now stop for a second. He just got done recounting their history. He's telling them, Hold fast to these things so that you'll live and inherit this land. Don't change anything in the word. And now think back to this one event in history. That when they didn't hold fast, God killed them. Now immediately, what do we have to do? We have to go find this event and look at it and find out what happened. So, turn with me to Numbers, chapter 25. The book of Numbers, 25. So you guys think Numbers is boring, I'm sure. It's not. There's a lot of really crazy, crazy stuff in here. A lot of good life lessons. A lot of don't do this, right? If it makes you feel better, just call Numbers, don't do this. Everybody turn to don't do this, chapter 25. So, Numbers chapter 25. Show you something interesting here. And actually, uh, Mitch, can we bring up a map real quick? And I know it sounds horrible to say, but this word that we have here, while Israel remained, it is shittim, okay? That's the way that you say it. It just is. Uh, let's all be adults about it, okay? Except for Jamie. <laughs> let's all be adults <laughs> about it uh, and see it. But I can't remember if it's located on the map somewhere up here. Um, Remember where it's located. I want to say your um I can't find it. You can type it in sometime and take a look at where the geography is uh in this situation. 
Um, we know it's going to be on this side, of course, because they haven't crossed over. But anyway, uh, in an instance where they're there, notice this. The people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Okay? So you get the geography that's going on. They're in Moab somewhere. Where exactly that's located at, I don't know that we necessarily have it. Can we scroll down some, Mitch? Is that possible? Go down to the bottom of this map. Just north of Reuben? Okay, so it's part of this. Just north of Reuben. Apologize, Mitch. I'm sorry. The south side of Gab, so in here, somewhere? Right there? Okay, so it's right in that area. Okay, great. Excellent. So, notice this. They play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Now, now if you can just get this in your mind, what God considers playing the harlot, when you read Revelation, it will take on a completely different understanding. Because when we talk about the great whore that comes out, rides on the back of the beast, okay? And we talk about the idea of her playing the harlot and this idea, uh, this whole concept of the idea of whoring around, we would say that. And the ESV uses that word over and over again. I don't think it's, it's bad or crass or anything. It's actually God trying to communicate something. What we're dealing with is we are dealing with a nation's willing participant, being willing participants in idolatry in pagan idolatry, and serving much, much lesser things than the God and creator of all things. You keep that in your mind and you read through Revelation, a lot of things start clicking for you real quick. So, uh, and let me give you this real quick. Let me turn there since I have it written down. I want to make sure I'm not telling you something silly. Um, if you want to write it down, you can. I'll read it to you real, real quick. Uh, if you want to write down in your margin there, Exodus 34 verses 12 through 16. If you want to write that down, let me just read it to you real quick. Exodus 34, verses 12 through 16. It says here, Watch yourselves, that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their ashram. Those were poles that were used at that time for worshiping pagan deities. For, here's the explanation, you shall not worship any other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice and you might take some of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters might play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. Now, this is something that Moses warned of a while back, okay? So this is fresh in their minds of something not to do. We've already had this conversation type of idea, and now here we find them, chapter 25 of Numbers, verse 1, playing the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Verse 2, 4, here's the explanation. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Now, for a Jew, you just violated commandments one and two. What's the first commandment? Have no other gods before me? What's the second one? Make for yourself no graven image either on the earth or above the earth or under the earth. No other gods, don't make any images. Have nothing to do with that situation. So we've already broken the first two commandments here. They eat together. Food always gets you in trouble, right? 
and then they bowed down to their gods. They knew a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. They got it, right? Verse 3, so Israel, now watch this language, joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry against Israel. Joined themselves. Our New Testament understanding that we have of this is they were yoking themselves together, is the idea. You know, we always talk about, well, he's not a believer, so you guys are unequally yoked. You know how we do that to people? Right? That, number one, that was written to believers. That might mean a mature believer and an immature believer getting together, too. You can use it for that. You know, some of your grandparents are like, yeah, more ammunition. That's great. So, but that's the idea joining themselves together, becoming yoked together with them. Yes. Yeah. Join himself together. It's the idea of coming together under a common bond, is what it is. And marriage would be an idea of that. So, notice verse 4. The Lord's angry, verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, take all the who? Leaders, because leaders do what? They lead. And they either lead well or they lead poorly. Very important. So notice, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord. What's the reason? So that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. The leaders who allowed for their people to go astray, who did not stand up in the gap and say, this is wrong, stay away from it, stop it. Execute them in broad daylight. Why would God say that? I mean, we're not talking about these are Moabites. These are Israelites. He means business. God doesn't play with sin. He didn't want anybody else to get hurt. Why would their death, why would their execution, we're talking about execution. Yeah, imagine, imagine in our day and age, we're talking about a gun to the temple. We're talking about a bullet in the head in front of everybody. Make sure everybody sees this. Well, they don't do it again, right? I don't want to do, I want that to happen to me. Make an example might be a reason. What does sin cause? Sin causes death. What's the only way to atone for sin? These people are having to die for their own sin. They're having to atone for that action. Right then and there. God dealing with it swiftly. So notice, bring them out in broad daylight, before the Lord. In other words, when it says before the Lord, it means that he is witness. What that probably means is they had the tabernacle set up and they brought them before the tent of meeting and executed them. Now notice the command's going out. So that, here's the reason, the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel so that his wrath towards sin would be appeased. Sin brings death. Blood atones for sin. So notice here, verse 5. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you, Slay his men who have joined themselves, there it is again, to Baal of Peor. Now, stop for a second and let's get our thinking clear about who Baal is. Baal is a representation in either a carved or chiseled form, stone, wood, whatever that might be, is that type of representation of a little g 
God. Does that make sense? One of the Elohim that was from the beginning that is a fallen demon. That's the idea. How do we know that? Well, number one, it's because it's running a nation. Doesn't take long reading Daniel to figure that out, what's going on. But number two, it is dictating the political atmosphere of how people live life. That's what demons do. Demons are in charge of countries and nations and people. And it seems from the Psalms that they're all given the responsibility to govern righteously and effectively or incur the Lord's judgment. Now we're going to touch more on that in probably three weeks because we're going to get into God, Yahweh, against the gods of Egypt and what all the plagues represent, how he comes in and is triumphant over each one of these areas of how they worshiped as pagans. We're going to talk about that. And the reason is, is because every area is run by an Elohim behind the surface. Pete, everything okay? Okay, I just want to make sure. Okay, make sure there's no damage or anything. Five more minutes, right? Can I have five more minutes? Yes, okay, praise God. All right, so notice, join themselves to Baal of Peor. They've joined themselves to another God. Verse six, then behold, now pay attention, because the word here is, the, 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 the language that we've translated into English is kind of vague. Some people have had trouble in the Hebrew with it. Some of your translations are going to bring out exactly what's going on a little bit better than others. But pay attention to what's going on here, and you tell me what's happening, okay? Verse 5, or sorry, verse 6. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel while they were weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Why were the congregation of Israel weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting? Because they were grieved over the sin that some of their kinsmen were participating in with the Moabites. So you have a guy come who is an Israelite, and he's got a Midianite, a Moabitess, some of yours will say Moabitess kind of idea, woman with him, and they come in front of Moses, the leader, and the congregation, so everybody in Israel sees it that's weeping over their sin, comes and brings her to the entrance of the tent of meeting. What is the entrance of the tent of meeting? It's the what? We're talking about the tabernacle here. We're talking about the very place that was transportable where Yahweh was worshipped and where his presence dwelled above the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. We are talking about the very place that was considered holy and reverent, all those things. Now, watch what happens here. Verse 7, when Phineas, and really, you looking for baby names after you read this? Phineas is the way to go, man. Get on this Phineas train. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest. So he's a Levite, right? He's in the line of Aaron. He's one of the priests. Saw it. Now notice, he saw something go on between this Israelite guy and this Moabite woman. He saw it. He rose from the midst of the congregation and he took a spear in his hand. And when he went after the man from Israel into the tent, now the word tent there can also be translated bridal chambers or woman's quarters is the idea. Or where a woman would get ready for betrothal is the idea. Notice this. And he pierced both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, through the body. So the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. 
And those who died by the plague were 24,000. 24,000 people died that day because they had a good meal, bowed down to these other gods, and something happened. Phineas, being a priest, reverencing God Most High, sees this situation, takes a spear, and kills them through the chest, both of them at the same time. What was going on? Is he just a real good aim? No. They were having relations. And they were having relations in such a way, came to Moses in his sight and in the sight of all the congregation that were weeping. At the tent of meeting, they were having relations openly as a public defiance of Yahweh. Treading on this violation of holy ground, essentially, is what it was. No shame, no excuses, no reason. It was just out and out flaunting it, is what it was. Phineas said, enough. And look what it says at the end of, of 8. I mean, to think about how we should understand this. So the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. I wonder if Phineas said, check. We don't know. The plague could have been the rampant idolatry that was going on. I mean, think about it. Romans chapter 1, right? God's made himself known. The wrath of God is being presently revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress it, cover it up. We don't want to have anything to do with the truth. So by our unrighteousness and our sin that we participate in, we're trying to shield the fact that God exists. Why? Because if God exists and I acknowledge it, then I'm personally responsible and I have to answer to somebody and I can't pay for my own sin. So what do we do? We live in delusion instead. So because they neither thank God nor honor God, even though they know he exists, what, is, what does Romans 1 tell you? God gives them up to worship things that they should not worship, to idolatry. He lets his hand back. It's, 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 it's what I call the passive wrath of God. The active wrath of God is, boom, everybody dies. That's the active wrath of God. That's, that's like the flood of Noah, okay? That's the active wrath of God. The passive wrath of God is, okay, you don't want me watching over you? Then how about I just step back a little bit and let you do what you want to do and see how that goes? To me, that's much more scarier than the active wrath of God because it's almost like a waiting game. If their sin will get the attention or not. Will, 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 your, will your depravity finally snap you back to your senses? It's a scary place to be. It's a very scary place to be. So I think that's what was going on here when we talk about the plague, the idea. Who knows? They, they might have been one example of many people that were doing that. And essentially what they were doing, what was this Moabite Midianite woman? What was she? She was probably a temple prostitute is what she was. And this was the way that the Moabites participated in worship. They had sex with temple prostitutes. That was so common at that time. That's why you have such a problem with uh, Ephesus and the temple of Diana being there. I don't know if you guys have ever seen any pictures of Diana, uh, but she was known for fertility. That was her thing. And you would come there and you would pay a certain amount of money and you'd have sex with a temple prostitute and you did your due diligence as worship. And as long as you kept that up, you got to stay in the labor union and keep your job. You got social acceptance. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. That was just the mindset of how they operated back then. So notice, they do that. Verse 10. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. What motivates a man to take a spear and kill two people that are in the midst of having sex because of their unholiness? Righteousness, that's what it does. He had a righteous anger about the situation and that's what propelled him forward. Now, can we totally mentally grasp that? No, because double murder is involved. But think about the situation we're dealing with. We understand that all sin leads to death and that blood atones for sin. It all starts to make sense. Is that the way that the world thinks about it? No, we're peace, love, and Ringo Starr and all those types of things. But when you start thinking more about what the Bible has to say about the swiftness of justice and what it looks like before people, it changes your mindset a little bit. So it says here, uh, with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. If it would have persisted on, he would have gone as far as killing as many people as possible because of their sin. Therefore, I say, behold, I give him my covenant of peace. God makes a personal covenant with Phineas because of his righteous action. And it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. Now, the name, this is what's terrible. We'll finish with this, but you talk about worse than tabloids, man. Now the name of the slain man of Israel who was slain with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu. Just in case you weren't for sure what Zimri we're talking about, we're talking about that guy that's the son of Salu. We're talking about him. A leader of the father's household among the Simeonites. He's of the tribe of Simeon and he was a leader participating in this, which means he was going to lead other people in the same direction. The name of the Midianite woman who was slain was Cosby the daughter of Zer, who was the head of the people of the father's household in Midian. Can you imagine for participating in this action, your name is chronicled in an errant scripture as Mr. and Mrs. Do-Dirty. I mean, I don't know how else to say that, but that's what you are essentially. You've been, you've been forever put in God's holy word as you did this and you suffered for, yeah, the naughty people. Unbelievable isn't it? So, don't mess with God's word. <laughs> Stick with it. Stay, it, it, it. It's powerful enough by itself. We don't need to add anything. Let me, let me read this to you real quick. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, do, the, do this with me. Turn to Psalm 106. We'll finish here. Thank you for your patience and being willing to hang out. Psalm 106. Psalm 106 is good to read in order to get a perspective of the history of Israel in this time. But I want to take you to Psalm 106. Look at verse 28. This gives you more of a glimpse. Remember, anytime you can find some scripture that comments on an event, it's the best commentary you're going to find. Verse 28. They joined themselves also to Baal Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. See, when we read back in Numbers and we say, oh, they, they ate and then they did whatever. We just take it as, you know, they had a buffet and then they went on about life and things got real bad from there. They drank too much or whatever. No, they were actually participating in a pagan ritual of eating food unto the dead. It's amazing how many pagans and, and, and cults and things like that have stuff going on to the dead 
to see that stuff. So this gives you an idea. Verse 29, thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds and the plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and interposed, right? Which is putting it lightly. And so the plague was stayed and it was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever. Standing up for righteousness. Taking the initiative no matter how hard it is to do the right thing in the moment. Any thoughts or questions before we pray and wrap this up? Pretty gruesome ending, but God is serious about his holiness. So let's pray together. Uh, thank you, God, for your word. I pray, God, that it stirs us and provokes us to want to read more and to maybe reconsider some of our actions so that we hold fast to the word uh, as we have it through Christ our Lord. It's in his name. Amen. Thank you, everyone.